Welcome to Trial by Wine. We take a closer look at crimes that highlight how fascinating humans can be. Schmidt, Swanee and Clarkie visit crimes and run them through their jury of three, debating both sides of the case to agree an appropriate, if totally fictitious, sentence. Please be advised, Trial by Wine may include explicit or disturbing content and will include drunken rambling. Listener discretion is advised. All right. Yeah, All that's right. right. <laughs> Great. Yeah, thanks. Good. How are you? Yeah, good. Yeah, good. Thanks. Yeah, good. Yeah, yeah. I'm fine. So we are doing a back-to-back because the boys are in Santiago, so we're utilising their, their somewhat limited internet as much as we possibly can, and they're very tight for time. So we'll maybe just get straight into I'm Schmitty. I'm Swanee. <laughs> and I'm Clarky. And together we are... Trial by wine. Beautiful. And what are we drinking? Not wine. Uh, I've really sh- I've shaped <laughs> up a little bit, and now I'm having a uh, Swanee's having a water. sparkling water. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Ooh, I'm still crazy. drinking the Delatite Sauvignon Blanc, and fortunately, I only had two small glasses in the last episode because I wasn't meant to be doing this one. But I'm still quite neat, which is just as well. Otherwise, I'd have to email my well notes done. to people, and they'd have to do it for me. <laughs> And Clarky, you well, on the Nescafe um, still? We've progressed from the no, no. We've progressed from the Nescafe because now um, the hotel Ooh. breakfast has opened, so they've got a little oh. auto- automatic coffee maker. So Stu's gone and got us some beautiful lattes. lattes. Very nice. A little step You're up quite from fancy where now. Six a.m. this morning. Mm. I thought you were going to say wine. Yes. I was like, well, you know, breakfast is open, and it's like, wow, that's impressive. You know, like Chilean breakfast. Had uh, wine, but I was... Wine? Oh, that would be good. (laughs) It would certainly set a tone for the day if we had wine at this hour. (laughs) Oh, you'll be asleep again in two hours if you have wine now. Yep. Okay, well, I'm going to crack on with the story. Great. Let's do it. Okay, so today I'm going to tell the story of the happy face killer, not to be confused with the Green River Killer or the Smiley Face Killer or even the Smiley Faced Murder Theory. Who knew there were so many other horrific murderers that we could confuse this guy with? But there you go. Every time I research a story, I become more aware of how truly terrifying this world actually is. So, sorry, he's the happy face? He's the happy face killer, yep. The happy face killer. Right, okay. Yeah. I think Could I did I... see one in the day called the smiley face killer. I think you're right. Yeah, there's a smiley face killer. There's actually multiple oh. smiley face killers. There's a slasher film loosely based on the idea of the smiley face killer. There is a man who I came across in my research, also a smiley face killer, but we're mm. not talking about him today. We're talking about the happy face killer. I'm wondering about when the police interview the victims or, you know, potential <laughs> witnesses and they say, oh, yeah, he just looked like he was pretty happy. Was he happy or was he smiling? Because we need to work out which one it is. And can you just be a little bit more specific with your description? Well, after our last episode, all I can picture now is Ronald McDonald's clown. Is he happy or and smiling? And I'm just like, honestly, he's smiling all the time, but he's, he looks pretty happy. So I reckon he's the happy face killer. I mean, sorry, clown. <laughs> Whoops. Oh. <laughs> that was a, that was a uh, Freudian sense. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so my sources are Ranker.com, Murderpedia, Wikipedia, Law.umich, which I think is Uni of Michigan, .edu, FrankWeberAuthor.com, CrimeLibrary.org, AllThat'sInteresting.com, BeyondTheCrime.com, the Oregonian and the Colombian newspapers, and Oxygen.com. Right. Solid list. 
I had to remember how to say this girl's name because the spelling is quite confusing. I think it's Tonya Bennett was an outgoing and friendly young woman who had grown up in Portland, Oregon. She was a delightful 23-year-old who made friends with strangers easily. One night in January, to, uh, sorry, 1990, Tonya went out to a local bar to have some drinks and laughs with friends. Schmitty, I'm, I'm really struggling to get past a point. Can you just tell me, because Tonya to me is a very straightforward spelling, either with an I or a Y. <laughs> How is it spelled? T-A-U-N-J-A. What? <laughs> T-A-U-N-J-A. <laughs> I told you. It was like... Pretty spelling. And... <laughs> Well, Tonya is our victim, so let's not laugh too much at her name. I didn't know if I spelled that correctly. Could you repeat? T-A-U-N-J-A. And I'll tell you that the happy face killer was was the individual who helped me to understand how to pronounce it simply because he said her name wrong twice, but I thought, okay, phonetically, it's Tonya. Got it. So. Okay. Right, back I can to move Tonya. On now. Tonya didn't come home that night and her family reported her missing on the 21st of January. The next day, the body of a young woman was found, having been dumped down an embankment off Old Columbia River Highway east of Portland, Oregon. At first considered a Jane Doe because she had no identification on her, as she was later identified as Tonya, she'd been beaten, raped and strangled to death with a length of white cord. Oddly, the zip from her jeans had been cut out and the police assumed this had been taken as a trophy. Now, I would have thought that someone might have noticed the man Tonya left with, but unfortunately for the investigators, no one seemed to have seen anything. As a result of the lack of leads, the investigators launched a public appeal for information where they discussed certain aspects of the case. They quickly received an anonymous call from a woman who told authorities she had overheard a person named, here's another hard name, John Sosvovsky, Soz, 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 who I realise I've, that, I don't know, hang on, give me a second to check his name because I've spelled it six different ways. I was just laughing John because you said, Soz. here's another hard name, it's John. And I was like, it's not that hard. How's that spelled? <laughs> no, it's Sosnovsky. So I overheard a person named John Sosnovsky bragging at a bar about killing Tonya. When no one appeared to arrest Sosnovsky, the anonymous tipster called the investigating detectives directly and told them that she knew who had killed Tonya. Laverne Pavlinak was a 57-year-old woman who was in an abusive relationship with Sosnovsky. Sosnovsky. These names. Did we decide? Sos- did we Sos- touch Sos- on Sos- which country yeah. this Laverne. is in? It's Portland, in Oregon. Portland, Oregon. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Okay, um, sorry. So I that. Laverne was this 57-year-old woman. She was in an abusive relationship with John Sosnovsky and she was convinced he was a killer and at the time John was 39 years old. Detective John Ingram went to Laverne's home to interview her. She told him that Sosnovsky was on parole at the time of Tonya's murder and she described him as a violent alcoholic. Detective Ingram asked if he could search the house and she said, sure thing. He found a letter addressed to Sosnovsky which had a handwritten note on the back which read, T. Bennett, good peace. As the detectives were leaving the house, Sosnovsky showed up. He agreed to be interviewed and said he didn't know Tonya and had no idea about the letter that they had found. It wasn't the smoking gun that they may have hoped for so they let him go but he was on their radar now. 
Someone writing T. Bennett good piece on the back of an envelope is a crime, surely. Ugh, what a shit phrase. Oh, I thought you were going to say it doesn't immediately, but it also doesn't immediately suggest, like, anyone could have written that. Oh, 100%. No, no, I'm with you on that. It's just that that in itself is a crime. Don't write, don't talk about people as a good piece. So still thinking he must have had something to do with it, they interviewed him again, and this time he said he did know Tonya and she'd been murdered by a man named Chuck, a mate of his. He said Chuck had given him a lift on the night of the 21st with Tonya's body in the back seat, but Detective Ingram didn't believe him, and even if he had, they didn't have actually any evidence to arrest him. Laverne seemed to know intimate details about the case. She claimed to have found a strange purse in the trunk of her car with a piece of denim from a pair of jeans inside, but of course these were not a match for the missing items belonging to Tonya. The detectives put it to Laverne that she was making shit up, so she went (laughs) all in. I put it to you, Laverne. You are making shit up, that's right. And she went all in and implicated herself in the murder. She told the investigators that she knew Sovznoski did it because she saw Tonya's body. He went off in, this is her quoting, he went off into the woods with her. He said, I better not open my mouth, that this never happened or I will cause trouble for your family. I'll hurt your family. So whilst Detective Ingram did think that Laverne might be a truth stretcher, she then claimed to know where she and Selznowski had left Tonya's body in the Columbia Gorge outside of town and took investigators to the exact remote wooded area where Tonya was found. Selznowski was brought in for questioning and denied any involvement. Investigators installed a hidden recording device in their home hoping to catch Selznowski making incriminating statements. While the police didn't get any hard evidence, nay, any evidence at all, the recordings demonstrate how good old Laverne attempted to convince her boyfriend that he had played a role in Bennett's death. I don't remember to go to no gorge, dump no body for God's sake. I don't, Sovsnowski is heard saying on the tape. I don't know if he has that accent. It's just the accent. <laughs> With that it, it sounded like it, it seems like a bit of a stretch. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's that's the, your down-home Oregon the, accent. No it's that no gorge and the no body is what made me want to say it yeah. like that. John, that's the worst thing you've gotten yourself into. Sorry, that's the worst thing you've ever gotten yourself into, she told him. Based on Laverne's statements and that Sovznowski failed a polygraph test, authorities arrested him on murder charges. <gasps> but a few days later, they got another call from Laverne. She changed her story again. This time hi, to say me that- again. <laughs> oh, yeah, hi. <laughs> I yeah, just remembered something. Again. Am I on? <laughs> Hide. Can you just tell me what I told you last time? <laughs> yeah, this time I think I I think I was there. I think I might have had something to do with this girl dying. So this time she says she too was involved in Tonya's death. She told the investigators she'd gone to the bar to meet Sosnowski, but Tonya was alive when she picked them up and both got in the car with her. She slapped him, he slapped her, punched her, slapped her, and they were laughing. Then it became serious, a serious argument. She told investigators she drove them to a scenic overlook at the Columbia Gorge where Sosnowski told, told her to pull over. She then described how she watched Sosnowski have sex with Tonya while he directed her to hold a rope around her neck and that she believed she pulled the rope too tight, killing Tonya. Oh, whoops. I feel like it's my fault, she said. That yeah, doesn't or, sound oh, whoops. Well, No, Laverne, go and think about it for two days and call us back. Yeah. Give us another version of Who does of she think she's protecting John? Oh, no, she's not protecting no. John. No. After she confessed to investigators, they called her daughter and said, could you come to your mother's house right now because uh, 
We're not really sure about this. And Laverne's daughter. The daughter she yeah, and Laverne's daughter arrives and Laverne confesses to her too. They have her tell, this is the daughter saying this, they have her tell me the story and I looked at her again and I said, Mum, are you sure? And she said, well, they told me I had to tell you this because if I told you then they'd believe me. This is the policeman. Now I'm thinking she's confessed, she's pointed out the dump site, she's confessed to us on tape, she's told her own daughter the same story very convincingly. I'm thinking, my God, she is actually involved in this. This is Detective Ingram. I'm told to place her in a holding cell and I say, okay, Laverne, now you need to go into that room right there. She turned around and she looked at me and she gave me a hug. I thought, oh, my God, I feel like I just put my mother in jail. (laughs) Cray, cray, lady. So based on the evidence, of which there was none, Laverne and Sovsnowski were arrested for murder, to which (laughs) they both said they were innocent. Oh. Laverne saying she's innocent. Once she's been arrested for it, yes. Yes. In January 1991, Laverne Pavlinak was convicted of felony murder and sentenced to life with a minimum of 10 years. Sovsnowski, who frankly there was no evidence other than Laverne's testimony implicating him, was terrified of the death penalty so he pleaded no contest to murder and kidnapping and was also sentenced to life in prison. (gasps) The end. No. Not the end. What? Yeah, as if. That's not the end. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> of course it's not. <laughs> so, fast forward a little bit. Sometime in 1994, someone vandalised the wall of a toilet in a truck stop, claiming responsibility for the murder of Tanya. Yes, he misspelled and mispronounced her name and signing off with a happy smiley face, you know, a smiley face thing. When no one paid any attention to that, uh, surprise, surprise. No, but was it a happy face started- or a smiley face? It's important. It was a, like an emoji. It oh. uh, led to the wrong killer. It's a circle with a pair of circles for eyes and a smile. You know, just a line drawing. I just want to know whether it was a happy a face or a smiley face. face so I can connect it to the right killer. That's all. It's They called it the happy face. So we'll go with happy <laughs> face, all right? Okay, let's go with happy. I don't know why. No one paid any attention to some, you know, weird writing on a toilet wall from miles yeah, away from where this actually happened. So That's not I know, credible. shocking. So then letters started to be sent to the police and to the press. Sorry, this is why they're all, where the other pair? Sorry, they're in jail. The they're done. Yep. They are, they are, right? Yeah, they they are in jail. They've, they've said they, well, originally she said they did it, then they both said no, we're innocent, and now they're both doing life. And so they were convicted beyond reasonable doubt based on all of that. That's brilliant. Correct. Phil Stanford, a journalist at the Oregonian paper, received an anonymous letter signed off by the happy face. Now, it's a six-page letter, but I could only get the fifth page of it. It seems to be the only one available. And it reads as follows. I would like to tell my story. I'm a good person at times, question mark. I always wanted to be liked. I have been married and divorced with children. I didn't really want to be married, but it happened. I've read your paper and enjoyed it a lot. I always have wanted to be noticed, like Paul Harvey, front page, etc. So I started something I don't know how to stop. On or around January the 20th, 1990, I picked up Sonia Bennett and took her home. I raped her and beat her real bad. Her face was all broke up. Then I ended her life, and that's underscored, uh, sorry, underlined. 
by pushing my fist into her throat. Very early. Oh, it's very early in the morning for this level of gore, Schmitty. Well, I actually have done a good job of removing most of the gore from the story. This turned me on. I got a high. Then panic set in (gasps) where to put the body. And then he goes on and on and carries on, right? Now, Stanford never had actually thought that Laverne and Savnovsky had killed Tonya. And when he received the letter, he didn't immediately think that the author was the killer, but he certainly was prepared to do some further digging himself. And he was a columnist and he wrote about the letters and the case in his column, pointing out there was no actual forensic evidence to link the two confessors to the crime. He even went so far as to interview Laverne in jail where she told him that she'd made the whole thing up as a way to get rid of her nasty boyfriend and that it just sort of snowballed into her confessing to being part of the murder. She's <laughs> <laughs> ridiculous. It happens. I was going to say, as, as it does, right? You know, this is the thing, you know, once you start lying, it just... Just one thing comes to mind. who know, cried murder. <laughs> of course, Detective Ingram was sure at this point that he had the right person and he wasn't listening. And in Ingram's defence, he later said that she was such a grandmother type and so earnest in her confession, coupled with the fact that she had identified where the body had been found, that he was determined to believe her. He even said he didn't put restraints on her when he arrested her. She was so much of a grandmother figure for him. So who did kill Tonya? The happy well, face killer. As it turns out, A long-haul trucker named Keith Jesperson had been at the bar the night Tonya had gone missing in 1990. Let me tell you a little bit about Keith. Keith came from your typical nasty background. You know, the kind that makes a killer. Keith was born on the 6th of April in 1955 to Les and Gladys Jesperson in Chilliwack, British Columbia, Canada. In Chilliwack, British Columbia, Canada. The middle child with two brothers and two sisters. Now, whilst Keith said his father was a violent alcoholic, his dad, Les, denied this. However, there are plenty of accounts from other family members to confirm that Les was a shit and was violent and nasty. Keith was a big boy and, of course, was teased mercilessly for for this from a young age. He was a very tall, very large person. He was a lonely outcast and was called Igor or Ig by his brothers, who were also shits probably as a result of the same rotten upbringing and the kids at school were just as bad. He was a shy giant, though not gentle, because from the age of five he quite enjoyed killing and beating animals for shits and giggles. He found he really enjoyed the feelings he got when he killed them or if they were killed by other animals. He would catch birds, stray dogs and cats that hung around the, yes, you guessed it, trailer park that he grew up in and would routinely strangle them to death, which was one of the only things his father praised him for. Unsurprisingly, he often wondered how it would feel to do the same to a human. Praised him for? Yes, his father was perhaps not the best dad. Let's put it that way. That's what we're looking for. That is a red flag, that animal action. Yeah, but also he often wondered how it would feel to do the same to a human, which I would say is even more of a red flag. So, get ready. When Keith was 10, he tried to kill a kid called Martin. Yeah, (gasps) because Martin gave him the shits because he would get him into trouble and then blame everything on Keith. A year or so later, a nasty bully held Keith underwater at a local lake until he blacked out. 
A while later, he returned the favour, nearly drowning the boy and was only stopped by a lifeguard at the local pool. Keith has also said he was raped at 14. And that's all I've got to say about that because there's no other information. He did manage to finish high school but didn't go to college because his father said he was an idiot and it was a waste of time. And Father of the Year Award goes to (laughs) Liz Jesperson. So whilst he was shy and ill-experienced with the ladies, Keith married Rose Huck in 1975 and they had three children, two daughters and a son. Keith worked as a long-haul trucker to support the family. As time went on and with Keith being on the road, Rose thought he was having an affair, as strange women would call. Eventually, after 14 years of marriage, Rose packed the kids up and went to live with her family in Spokane, Washington, when Keith was out trucking and they divorced in 1990. Now, as I said, uh-huh. Keith was a big fellow. That's the trigger. Around a similar period of time, as I said, Keith was a big fellow. He was six foot seven inches and weighed around 116 kilometres. (laughs) And weighed around 116 (laughs) kilograms. (laughs) He had a passion for policing. Mm, Sounds similar to our last guy. And began working really hard and training to join the Royal Canadian Mounted Police. But unfortunately, he injured himself training and that put the kibosh on that. Bitterly disappointed by both the end of his marriage, but probably more his failure to have his dream job, Keith went back to long-haul trucking and relocated to Cheney, Washington. It was around this time that Keith was hanging out in the bar where he met Tonya. He was 35 at the time and spotted the pretty, friendly young woman. He made conversation with her and asked if she'd like to have dinner. She said yes, but... Then he realised he had no money, so he asked if she'd like to go back to his place. Tonya agreed and they did go back to his. Keith was really angling for sex, of course. They did have sex, but afterward Keith got really nasty, calling her names and an altercation ensued, which ended with Keith beating Tonya and strangling her to death with a rope. Most people who find themselves in a situation that escalated that quickly... Exactly, and took a turn for the worst, might have panicked, not Keith. He took a drive, not Keith. (laughs) He took a drive and dumped some of Tonya's belongings. She had a Walkman, a person and ID on her at the time. Then he went back to the bar to make sure people had seen him there. He then went home, put her body in his car and dumped her down the embankment on the side of the highway. And then he went off for coffee at the local truck stop, so again he could alibi himself if he needed to. But he didn't need to because somehow no one had noticed a six foot seven man talking to and leaving with Tonya at the bar and instead some granny and her abusive boyfriend became suspect number one and two. <laughs> Isn't that odd? Isn't it? Or is it yeah. because they didn't so, do any further investigation once the granny I think it's a bit of both. I think started. initially there was absolutely no leads. Like there were no witnesses, no one saw anything, there was nothing to see here. And then the granny, I think fairly quickly, like within weeks, became sort of central to the story, sorry, Laverne, you know, inserted herself and John in the story and because they had nothing else to go on, they just sort of latched onto that and they didn't really believe it to begin with. The thing that really did it though was that she knew where the body was or she she took them down to where the body had been found and that, that was the thing that they thought 
you know, really implicated her and Meant she was involved at some point. Allegedly, yes. Well, that's how they read it anyway. So not long after Tonya was killed, a woman named Dawn Slagle was cooling off in her car in a car park in California after a major fight with her husband. The 21-year-old was with her four-month-old baby boy, sitting in a car park late at night. What could go wrong? She was approached by Keith and after some quite pleasant chats, she agreed to get in his car with him. She took her son too. Of course, he drove them around and tried to force her to have sex with him, and she refused. After hours of him trying it on, trying to force her to give him oral sex uh, and trying to choke her or break her neck unsuccessfully, he let her and the baby go. And I can only assume that the crying baby put him off a bit. At any rate, Dawn reported this to the police, and they did pick him up for it. They for whatever reason, decided that his version of events was that she was injured because the angle of where her head was her while he, she was trying. Well, he was trying to break her neck, but he said, oh, no, I just it was an accident because it was a bit awkward in the car, you know, while she was uh, giving me an old jobby and, uh, you know, so um, it's just an accident. And the police went, no worries, mate, fair enough. And that whilst he sense. had been charged with sexual assault, I think he got away with a misdemeanour. So, yep, no problem. It was 1990. Sadly, Dawn was his only lucky escape. On the 30th of August 1992, the currently unidentified body of a woman Jesperson had, or Keith had raped and strangled was found near Blythe, California in the US. Keith gives the Jane Doe's name as Claudia. A month later, in Turlock, California, the body of Cynthia Lynn Rose was discovered. Keith claims Rose was a sex worker who entered his truck at a truck stop while he slept, which pissed him off and so he killed her. His fourth victim was another sex worker, Laurie Ann Pentland of Salem, Oregon, whose is body that, was found in November 1992. Is that how sex workers get their business, going into no truckers' trucks while they sleep? Like that's just a nonsense story. Um, that didn't happen. No idea, but, yes, it pissed him off, no. So uh, his fourth victim was another sex worker, Laurie Ann Pentland of Salem, Oregon, whose body was found in November '92. According to Keith, Pentland attempted to double the fee she charged for the sex he had been engaged in with her. She threatened to call the police, so he strangled her to death. Keith killed his next victim in June 1993 in Santanella, California. She was another Jane Doe but was identified in 2022 as Patricia Skipple, who he claimed was named Carla or Cindy. And the police originally had considered her death a drug overdose. She and another of the victims have been very lately identified and it's all through DNA, as in, you know, uh, familial DNA matching. So in September 1994, another Jane Doe was found in Crestview, Florida. Keith had previously said her name was Suzanne and she was identified as Suzanne L. Killenberg on on October the 3rd, 2023 so literally two or three weeks ago through familial dna he claimed that she had started screaming in his truck and he was in a rest area where he wasn't allowed to have anyone on board and he thought he'd get in trouble so he strangled her that makes sense in january 1995 keith agreed to take a young woman angela surbreeze from spokane washington to indiana in his truck approximately a week into the trip surbreeze or Surprise, became impatient and began to nag Keith to hurry up as she wanted to see her boyfriend. 
In response, Keith raped and strangled her. He then strapped her to the undercarriage of his truck and dragged her face down to grind off her face and prints. Oh, my God. Mm. Jeepers. Finally, Keith did something really dumb. He killed an ex-girlfriend, Julie Winningham. He'd been questioned about a week earlier but had refused to talk to the police. He became increasingly paranoid that he was going to be arrested and he'd written to her brother confessing to having killed Julie. Uh, I think he thought that Julie had met another guy or was um, being unfaithful to him, so that's why he decided to kill her. Her brother gave the letter to the police and Keith also tried to die by suicide twice in the lead-up to finally confessing to killing Julie and his other victims when the police came to interview him. And it's widely believed that he tried to commit, sorry, die by suicide to try and get leniency from whoever was going to sentence or punish him in the future. Once he was arrested on the 30th of March 1995, it became clear that he had killed Tonya. The police were able to link his DNA from a stamp on the letter, you know, the happy face letter that he sent, to DNA found on Tonya. And he also told them where to find her licence, which up until then hadn't been found. He then, for no apparent reason, told them he'd killed up to 160 people. And he also tried to claim some of the victims of the Green River Killer. But he then later recanted this nonsense, although I believe there are multiple other cases that investigators have also looked at in connection to Keith. But at this point in time, he's only confirmed to have killed eight women only. Keith was found guilty and is serving three consecutive life sentences at the Oregon State Penitentiary in Salem. In September 2009, Keith was indicted in Riverside County, California on murder charges. He was extradited in December 2009. He was convicted of another murder and received a fourth life sentence in January 2010. Of course, Keith's confession and actual evidence linking him to the murder of Tonya meant that Laverne and Sovsnovsky were exonerated and released from jail. Both Laverne and Sovsnovsky have since passed away. On why Laverne implicated herself, her daughter has said she was a loving and giving person and couldn't find another way out of her destructive relationship. I did read someone else say the only crime they were guilty of was stupidity. Keith's mother died in 1986. I've seen her and Snovsnovsky. It was pretty dumb too. Keith's mother died in, I think it was 85 or 86, and his father died in 2015. And I found Les, Father of the Year's obit online, Strangely, no mention of his fathering a serial killer. Keith has got on to stir up endless shit with media and the legal system, some of which appears to have stopped him getting the death sentence, particularly given he's killed across multiple states, California, Oregon, Florida, Nebraska, Washington and Wyoming. But I'm not going to give him any more airtime. He's a remorseless killer. His daughter has made an internet career of being the daughter of the happy face killer. She says, sorry, he says she's a liar, but then with Keith as a dad, who can blame her or indeed determine if that's true? And that is the case of the happy face killer, who was such a massive knob slash narcissist that he had to fess up to his own crimes to stop someone else getting the attention. Golly. He's awful. I didn't want to go. Yeah, oh, that was the that was horrendous. But I didn't want to go into yeah. a great deal of detail about the murders because for me, what what piqued my interest was the stupid false confessions. Yeah, who in their right yeah. mind does that? So stupid. why was he stupid? 
Sovsnowski. Well, he, he, yeah, well when, firstly, when I think he could have both... got a better attorney. He yeah, but pled, he, maybe he, he couldn't afford no one no contest or... to the murder charge too because he, oh, come on, there was no evidence whatsoever. Because he was afraid of the death penalty. Yeah, no, but but I'm still, I don't think that means he's stupid. It means his legal strategy I wasn't I do wonder good. how many sex workers listen to our podcast. Oh, I should have run for the hills. I just will tell you that Laverne, Worked out, by the way, where the body was dumped, not because she had anything to do with it, but she'd heard from some locals in the community, the rough area, and when she went down, when they took her down there, she could see where people had been walking and, and had sort of trampled it, which they would have done when they found the body and processed the scene. And yeah. so she was like, yeah, down here. So she used a modicum of deductive <laughs> reasoning <laughs> to throw herself under what the bus. What a mastermind. Isn't it incredible? Goodness me. And do we know what he did to her? I feel ill again. I just feel... Who did what, what to whom? He did to Laverne. I think he just beat her, got drunk and beat her up a lot. Maybe I was going to say something because it's been bothering me a bit. Is I feel yet again we're back with these poor transients and sex workers, anyone who's sort of on the fringe. Disenfranchised ladies, that's right. It's insane. They're just such obvious victims of these kind of... Horrendous crimes. Yep. Time and time and time again. But Tonya wasn't a sex worker. Tonya, the first victim was just a girl at a bar, as in, you know, out for a nice night, friendly girl, um, probably thought he was nice. They think that the combination of the marriage breaking down and not getting into the Royal Canadian Police were the things that triggered his rage and... Most of his crimes against these women were just fueled by rage. I think somewhere I read he said something like, oh, killing's no big deal or something like that. You know, like it's just an animal. And he writes these, he's got these long dissertations about things, this that happened and that happened. I just, he's a dickhead. You know, I just, I don't really want to give him any, anything, like apart from maybe the death penalty because I cannot believe he's escaped it. If, if there's one thing I've got to say for him, he's worked out how to manipulate the legal system. I think they believe that the way he, part of the reason that he confessed to Tonya's murder wasn't because he felt sorry for uh, Laverne Pavlinak or John Sosnowski. It was because by being arrested for that in the, in that state, in Oregon, it would have delayed proceedings or something else to do with the death penalty in other states. So it's quite deliberate. They think it's quite deliberate the reason that he's confessed to the certain things he has, although he makes himself out to be some, yeah, like, aren't I amazing? I saved those two people. I got them out of jail. You know, I I got them exonerated. He is, uh, oh, yeah, yeah, a total narcissist, yeah. Um, You mentioned about Patricia. Mm -hmm and how she was originally thought to have died from an overdose. Did she have similar wounds to everyone else? And, yeah, right, so that was never looked into. I would say so. But I think it also depends on when her body was found. He only got four life sentences. Yes, of the eight. And I'm not quite sure whether or not he's been indicted and actually tried for some of those, or obviously the other four. And, again, that could be to do with the other states, so they'd have to indict him and take him to – he's still, by the way, alive and he's in jail in Oregon. 
Oregon, um, but they'd have to ex- extradite him. And I think there comes a point in time where they sort of go, look, he's doing four life sentences. He's never going to get out. Is it worth the cost of prosecution for the other four? Unless, of course, someone was baying for the death penalty. It's Yeah, it's interesting because, uh, I, you know, and I'm not sure what happened with Patricia, but, for instance, if she was thought to have died from an overdose and he comes out and says, no, no, it was me, you would think, and, and maybe she didn't have people close to her or around She wasn't her identified for 20-something, 30-something years. Someone would want closure on that. Yeah, she was one that, she was a Jane Doe. So they only identified or worked out who she was last year. And to Carla's point, I think some of these women mm-hmm. were either sex workers or they were jumping from one place to the other and they had cut ties with some of their family. Like they didn't have people watching out for them. Regu- I it's mean, a real like in the case of Tonya. That runs through so many of our cases. Yeah, you? but like Tonya, Tonya's parents immediately, is, immediately yes. reported her missing. Yeah. yeah. So sentencing, because there is a thing, there's a question as to whether or not Laverne and Solznowski and their ludicrous confession got in the way of the investigation and some of those other well, women have to have. could not, right? may not have been killed have if they'd been picked up earlier. Oh, 100% mm. it did, yeah. yeah, yeah. They would have yeah. taken their, you know, eye off the prize at them they thought they had the prize. Mm. I'm comfortable with her being guilty of stupidity. I don't understand the, the connection with him. And All I right, fine. Frivolous, but he's, he's what a pig. An idiot. Like, but she, she is just. Oh, I know. You know, so wrong on so many levels doing Silly that. And, girl. and we're, yeah. we're talking about her, not the, the real problem in this story. But yeah, she really is. But she's part of the problem. Idiot. She's part what of the problem. What she said, well, I know that she's passed. What, did, what happened when she was released in prison? Was she like on the TV talk show circuit or? Uh, no, I think she just talked about the fact that she just what did Oprah couldn't say? see any way okay. out of this abusive relationship other than and to try to get... So we, earlier you said, who was she protecting? Was she protecting John? No, she was trying to throw John under the bus. She wanted John to be incarcerated yeah. to get away from her. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then it all just played out. It snowballed. Yes, as she put it. I mean, that's enough. That's enough punishment for her, isn't I, it? I think she did, what, three or four years... Her going for to nothing. jail for her stupidity for, for is fair. Idiocy, yeah. yeah. No, I like that. I like that you're just saying she's already done her time because, you know, how dumb can you be? <laughs> yeah, I don't think you get much empathy for that. If yeah, yeah. I, I feel for him in the context that he went to jail. I don't. He was a nasty pig. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but, you know, he didn't I deserve to go to jail to for four years. I got nobody down no gorge. <laughs> Yeah, I don't know. He, well, anyway, maybe not. Anyway, he just went to jail, so there you go. But what do we think about Keith? Keith or Kevin? What was it? Keith. He's an animal. Uh, mm. He is. He really is. It's, I don't know what to do with people like that. I'm going to strap him to the but undercarriage that, of a I truck. Think that's all I could think of. Yeah, it's what stands out. Yeah, out. it's a good mm-hmm. one. I don't want to say it. Not drive fast, drive slow. Well, it's in trial by wine yeah. world so that, you know, he can just grow his skin back and then we'll just keep doing it over and over again. Oh. I mean, fortunately she was dead, but, you know, it's... Oh, no, we could do that and we can just tattoo oh. a smiley face on his... <laughs> scar. Sorry. Facial scar. That's a good idea. Yeah. <laughs> no, tattoo an unhappy face. Put a, a sad 
crying face yes. on his face. And I know you said he had a bad upbringing, but it didn't sound so bad to lead to what We've seen he worse. did. <laughs> you know, it sounded like his sadistic ways started na- pretty early. I don't think early. it was all nurture. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Yeah, I don't I think, think it was all nurture. I think there was some nature, nature. in there. When, when you consider the killing animals at age five... Yeah, come on, mate. Yeah, because they say that a lot of your personality is formed yeah. in those first I'm, I'm few years, don't they? I'm fine with him under a truck. Truck, yeah. And if he's killing mm. he's terrifying. animals he really at that is. age, God. I just... It was all a means to an end. So every, every if someone's irritating him or causing a problem, yeah. his answer was, I'll just kill her yeah. and just throw her out like rubbish. I think that sort of, I don't know, I've seen some, I mean, obviously stuff that we cover here, but some really macabre stuff where I just think, Women are just so disposable for so mm-hmm. many of these bad, 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 yeah. Mm. It's like, yeah, whatever, mm. whatever. And it's not to say that crimes yeah. do not happen against women. Obviously they do. But so many of them are just like not one woman, women, and they're just, and they're, the way they treat away. them, like, I mean, putting her under, yeah, really, it's so graphic. It's very difficult to sort of sit here and digest. You know, here's a man who had his own daughter. As well. He had two daughters. That, that's what gets me. Yep. He had two daughters. Mm. It, it made me laugh, though, because I didn't read a lot of what the daughter was complaining about, but she's got a TikTok channel mm. and she reads the letters apparently from that he sends her from jail on her TikTok channel. And in one of when something she was saying, oh, you know, he, he sent me this letter and he told me that I was fat and that my marriage wouldn't last. And I thought, yeah, look, I know he's a psychopath and all, but. I'm not sure that's the worst thing he's ever done. <laughs> yeah, I think yeah, giving that man any airtime to discuss that is that is why a would you in itself, exactly right? yeah, silly girl. That's just her trying to to be famous off that yeah, capitalize it yeah yeah. I, and look, that's, that's I have cool. no doubt that there's a great deal of trauma associated with oh, being course. his daughter. But Don't then I think about the daughters of help. Joseph D'Angelo Jr., who's the Golden State Killer. I haven't seen them do that. So have you got anything more for us other than under a truck? Anything more than under a truck? Oh, I, th- I think that's good and, and it's hard to find that. I guess the the only other thing, so taking him aside because I think that's a good punishment for him, when you're investigating a murder and the best you've got is some crazy lady trying to do her husband in, it's not very conclusive and I just wonder whether as investigators and detectives just because that's the most information you've got should you actually proceed with your conviction and even if you do how did they get found guilty based on her recanted testimony and and all she knows is where the body is and even that she wasn't interesting she didn't know where other things were she knew where the body was but she couldn't tell them where the walk when it was found or anything so I mean, you're right. She, they should never have been found guilty. There was not enough evidence to convict. It shouldn't have even gone to trial. I mean, I don't understand what the prosecution service was putting it forward. So I think there's probably a little bit of punishment for the legal system in general for getting that so wrong. Probably not uh, anything too extravagant, but there's a, there's a little bit of be better, you know, look at what's going on here because it does seem like it's a fairly serious crime and a serious conviction they both get life based Mm. on very very little other than some vengeful and beaten up woman some suggest that she didn't think that she actually would be arrested or go to jail 
that it was sort of like a yeah, you tell yeah. us a bit about the John and and we'll get you out of this, don't worry, kind of thing. And You'll so she was kind of surprised of when yeah. she's quite surprised when she was arrested. And I think that's partly why immediately she's like, No, 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 I didn't do anything. So but it's very difficult because mm. once you change your tune, as we've seen in other cases, if there's evidence that you've lied and turned it round. People just think you lie about everything. They in, in, innately distrust you. Yeah. So I, I think you're absolutely right. There sure. wasn't any evidence, but I think through that behaviour, if that came out in court, people would be like, "Well, you know, who knows? They must. They might have yeah, done it." Yeah, There's one thing that now. makes us think they did. So let that be a lesson to you. There's a bit of a parallel with last week's episode too, though, whereby if authority are telling you something, you believe it and yeah you know, from a from a jury's point of view if there's a prosecutor saying she did it and here's all of the things that lead us to believe that they kind of go oh i guess she did then because they're Absolutely. not thinking yep. critically or not looking at the evidence they're just listening to the prosecutor so possibly from the prosecutor's point of view i mean i've seen swanee you have too law and order whereby sometimes the prosecutor will go there's not enough evidence go and get more why didn't that happen yeah, yeah. You know, that's how it works in the real world. Obviously, it's on law and order. Wrong one. You need your other one. one. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, there you go. So, you know, this is a a clear case of reality not living up to fiction. (laughs) I I would have liked the prosecutor have said to the police, go and find some real evidence. Go and find the actual murderer before he goes and kills seven other women. Yeah. Correct, because she's been an idiot and she's put the two of them in jail. He's not done, there's nothing to connect him to the crime and yet he's gone to jail for life. I mean, that could happen to anyone. If all you've got to do is say, yeah, yeah, he did it, I was kind of involved. Oh, fuck, I'm an idiot. Oh, horrible. Yeah, yeah. It's really scary. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I thought it was quite frightening that someone can just accuse you and it probably made it even better that she indicted herself as well that she sort of threw herself under the bus 100 percent. you know became yeah, more believable yeah. because she's also saying oh no i yes. did it too like why would you confess to that if it wasn't true yeah exactly right yes terrifying yep yeah so the, i think the prosecution need a good hard look at themselves okay <laughs> and swanee mm. are you just happy with under the bus for the bloke under the bus under, under the, the bus. under the truck that I that just stopped me in my tracks when you said that. I was like, oh my god! And oh. I could see Clarkie just doing the same face. Yeah. Going, what? <laughs> yeah. No, that is that too much. so macabre. That's very cruel. Sick. All right. Well, I might then on that note let you guys Wind go us off up. and do your fun things in Santiago, and Swanee and I can yes. go off to bed and do stuff here on this side of the planet. And we can all very quickly forget about the monster that was Keith Jesperson. Is rather, yeah. Well, thanks Thank for you. joining me on that one. And as we say every week, miss you already. Ciao, ciao, ciao my lovelies. Bye bye. Thanks for listening to Trial by Wine. You can contact us at trialbywine at gmail.com. Please rate, review, and subscribe to Trial by Wine on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. If you'd like to support us, you can become a patron at www.patreon.com, Trial by Wine, or visit our website, www.trialbywine.com, to donate to us. Your support will help us cover many more cases and apply wacky sentences. 
We really appreciate you listening and hope you tell everyone about us. Our cover art is by John Christo and music is by Beauchamp from pixabay.com.